Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. Hello, everybody. Welcome. This is Sandy Weiner, and I am the founder and chief love officer at LastFirstDate.com. And thank you so much for joining me here today at Last First Date Radio. We are an acclaimed show about achieving healthy, off-the-charts love in the second half of life. And so whether you're single or married or coupled, this show has something for everybody. I want to uh, just tell you a little bit about my special guest today. I'm going to be speaking with counselor and author Reno Purifoy about anger in relationships and how to tame the beast. Um, Anger is such a hard thing for people to talk about, to deal with. Um, There's a lot of negativity surrounding the emotion of anger, so this was a topic that is near and dear to my heart because I think it's really, really important for people to be able to express all of their emotions in an effective way. As a dating coach for women over 40, I help women date in the same way as they approach the rest of their lives, and that is with high value. And I do believe that when a woman knows her true worth, she attracts her best partner I am super excited to announce that my first live retreat is going to be taking place November 2nd to 4th, 2016, in Stamford, Connecticut at the Sheraton Hotel. It is limited to 20 women, just 20 women over 40 who are single and want to improve their quality of life, and to uh, really value themselves. It's called the Women of Value Live Retreat. You can find out more about it at lastfirstdate.com forward slash women-value-live-retreat. That's women-value-live-retreat. And I will be putting a pop-up to click on on my website soon. So this is this is actually the first day of the launch. It's going to go live soon, and you can you can actually get a sneak peek and sign up. Um, it is going to be two and a half days of awesomeness, of really deep, deep, authentic work. Ah, so excited. It's been a lot of work, but it's it's really important. Um, also wanted to let you know that in case you are interested in learning some of the ways that we sabotage ourselves in dating, you can grab a copy of my free guide. It's available on my website, lastfirstdate.com, and um, it will explain the top three mistakes that midlife daters make and how you can turn them around and find lasting love. It's my gift to you. So now I'm going to introduce our special guest today. Reno Purifoy holds a master's degree in counseling, and he's the author of Anger, Taming the Beast, the second edition. His first book, Anxiety, Phobias, and Panic, has gone through three revisions and sold over 200,000 copies. Wow. 
After 20 years in private practice as a marriage and family therapist specializing in anxiety disorders, he retired to teach at a local college in Sacramento, California. After 15 years of teaching, he's now spending his time writing, speaking, and seeing people with anxiety-related problems as a pastoral counselor and sharing his videos on practical lifestyle life skills, I'm sorry, on his YouTube channel. Welcome to the show, Reno. Well, thank you. I'm just delighted to be here. Thanks. Well, anger, let's talk about the beast. <laughs> so um, first I would love to hear how you define anger and why does it get such a bad rap? Well, when I talk about anger, I'm, actually I'm talking about it in a very broad sense, Uh the word anger itself usually is uh, used to describe a fairly high level of uh, of anger, but uh, I'm talking about it all the way from irritation all the way up to rage, because it's really all the same emotion. It's just the intensity level. And in fact, we have just dozens of words to describe the different levels of anger, but it's really all the same basic emotion. Mm. And as an emotion, it's it's essentially uh, a response that we have to threat. The other one being fear, and again, fear. I look at it in a broad sense from apprehension all the way up to panic. So anger and fear are the two ways we respond to threat. Uh, if we perceive the threat as something that's manageable, we tend to move towards anger. And if it's unmanageable, we tend to move towards uh, the fear side. And, of course, that can change because our perception sometimes is mixed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if it's unmanageable, we move towards the fear side. Exactly. You know, a, a good example would be if if a little chihuahua is you know nipping at me, you know that's something I can deal with. So I'll or, get away from me. <laughs> if mm-hmm. it's a grizzly bear, I'm going to move in the other direction. And yeah. I, I think it's it's important to understand that our perception. Uh, is going to really vary from one person to another person. So one person may see uh, uh, a simple action like somebody uh, saying, gee, you know, that color doesn't seem to suit you very well as uh, not a big deal. Another person may see it as a major threat, you know. So these things can be sometimes uh, very irrational depending upon our belief system and how we look at the world. Right. So what influences our beliefs, our perceptions, um, so that we end up with these types of reactions? Well, it's mostly childhood training. Uh, the way you respond when you're angry, I mean, that's, into- that's totally things that you've learned, uh, with just a very few exceptions, you know, the people with brain problems and stuff, and that's a very small percentage, so we don't even need to think about them. But you, you learn how to be angry uh, by watching the adults around you, and also through mm-hmm. your experiences. So if you had out-of-control uh, parents, uh, oh, I'm thinking of one lady who's had a very out-of-control mom, and as she grew up, she had a big anger problem. Uh, uh, another case would be a person who learned that the way I survive is by being angry. Because anger is a way you can control people. In fact, a lot of times people, without realizing it, and sometimes they actually do realize it, is they use anger to control relationships. Because when you're around somebody that you know has a short fuse and is going to come off on you, most people tend to kind of walk on eggshells. Uh, of course, the the downside is you don't have very good relationships. You have control, but nobody wants to be around you. So, yeah, so the type of anger you're speaking about now is more of that rage 
um, right, exactly. where the people are out of control, right? So, mm-hmm. so there is an in control type of anger. So let's talk about that. But before we actually go there, I just wanted to comment about having the out of control parent because, um, in my experience, you can have the opposite response oh, with exactly. an out of control parent too, right? So I just wanted to put right, that right. on the you, table. You learn, where you learn to just to blend into the wall wallpaper. Yeah. In fact, that, that, that's an interesting uh, thing because that type of person as an adult, a lot of times they'll have that emotional you know, uh, response and they'll say, you know, I, I should have spoken up, but I don't understand why I did not. And it's because, again, they learn, they equate anger with danger, and therefore whenever anything comes up, whenever they feel that, they immediately shut down and pull back, or conflict is dangerous, mm-hmm. I should say. So, yeah, yeah it's, 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 uh, you can have different responses for the same background. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um so let's talk about the the anger that is more um uh, of an appropriate response. Um what can you speak to that a little bit please? Sure. In fact, when I'm working with people uh in anger management have a problem, uh the first rule that you have to teach them they have to buy into is the walk away the you know don't do anything strategy. Um uh, because again, their their habit is to respond too quickly and usually in an irrational way. Uh, understand that whenever you assert yourself, there is a low level of anger that is driving that. When somebody's stepping on your toes and you say, "Excuse me, please get off my toes," you know, there's that irritation, you know, or that uh, that low level of anger that's causing you to act. Because emotions basically have two functions: they have one to focus your attention and the other is to motivate you to take action and to respond to some need, whatever that need happens to be. And so part of the the, the uh, important thing about anger is to learn to tune into it when it's at that low level and take positive action at that time. If you suppress it, uh, which again is another uh, thing that people sometimes learn, then what happens is you have some need that's not being taken care of. And over time, that needs going to keep pushing at you more and more, and that's when you tend to do the irrational stuff, uh, either self-destructive or outwardly towards other people. You know, because people will, either will turn that inward or they'll turn it outward. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, responding so early on, be, being able, and I, th- I might add that the other problem that people have is a lot of times they're out of touch with some of those emotions. And so they can't identify it when it's at that low level. So they have to reconnect their emotional network. That's mm-hmm. that's particularly a problem with people from emotional from dysfunctional families, because uh, mm-hmm. one of the traits of of people from dysfunctional families is a lot of times they've had to learn to not be in touch with their emotions because there was so much craziness going around uh, when they were growing mm-hmm. up. So they just learn to shut that stuff down. And so as an adult. A lot of times they really don't know what they're feeling or they don't know what the issue is unless they've taken time to really take a look at that stuff. Uh, it is something yeah. that you can reconnect, though. Um, and that's an important awareness, and I, I see this a lot with my clients. Um, mm-hmm. Many of them come from dysfunctional homes, and their response in relationship is completely out of alignment with who they are, um, exactly. which it takes time for them to kind of even realize it a lot of times, right. you know, that, that they're so used to that being normal um, mm-hmm. that they don't even know what healthy looks like. And, well, um, yeah, so, I mean, part of fact, part of my – yeah, go ahead. No, I'm saying you, you've probably, uh, with a lot of people you've worked with, realized that all of their friends come from dysfunctional families. <laughs> 
So mm-hmm. it's interesting how we how we surround ourselves with people um, that reflect who we are. I mean, all the people that mm-hmm. I know, I, I've been married 42 years, and all the people I know have been married for you know a long time and have you know healthy relationships and that type of stuff. And so that's kind of the world I I work in, you know, in my private life, uh, which is very different from uh, the world of a lot of people. And I realize that. Uh, one of the yeah. things I think that's interesting for people to take a look at when they're reconnecting their, their emotional network or just kind of getting more in touch with that is what I have them do is is just to make it very simple. Am I happy, sad, you know, mad, or feeling, you know, lonely or disconnected? That, those types of terms. And then just every, maybe every couple hours, just tune in and, okay, what's going on inside of me? Or whenever a big event happens. Take a moment to tune in to what happens, what's happening inside of me. What am I feeling? It also helps, I think, to uh, take a look at times when you know you've been really angry at somebody, or you know you've been really, you know, sad uh, or feeling lonely. Uh, and what did you do? What were your behaviors? Because emotions always trigger some kinds of behavior. So when I was angry, oh gee, you know, I would isolate, or I'd play a stupid game on the computer, or I'd get crabby. Or, you know, you have specific things you do. And then you mm-hmm. do that with the various emotions. And then now that becomes like a little dash light on your car. Oh, I'm isolating on the computer. You know, th- this is one that I do. I'll, I'll be on the computer playing a stupid game I don't normally do. And, uh, and then I'll, I'll notice, I'll say, oh, you know, something's bothering me. Okay, what's bothering me? Okay, and then that's when you start to become aware of what's actually going on inside of you. And now you can mm. come up with a plan to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, just so naming just, so just, it is really yeah. important. And, and again, one of the keys is becoming aware of what are my behaviors that I do when I have these different emotions. It's, it's amazing mm-hmm. how unconsciously we do a lot of this stuff. And just becoming, oh, yeah. you know, conscious, okay, th- these are my angry behaviors, these are my sad behaviors, you know, these are my hurt behaviors. Uh, and so, okay, so now that means I need to take some action. Mm-hmm. So what kind of actions can people take? Well, with emotions or with anger, basically the first step step is just to ask yourself, uh, you know, why am I angry? What's, where's the threat? What's going on? And most people just asking that question, they can identify and say, well, I'm angry because such and such. Then I think the second thing to look at is, was that an appropriate response? Was it appropriate to get angry when somebody said, gee, that's a nice color that you're wearing. Oh, okay, maybe that wasn't appropriate. Or if they took something of yours, okay, that is appropriate. Then I think the next th- thing is, what should I do? Uh, is there some action I need to take? And if so, you know, what would be an appropriate action? Uh, c- keep in mind, too, that, that if your response is inappropriate, you know, my my uh, partner or my friend says something and I went ballistic, uh, there really wasn't a threat there, then that's when you need to kind of start exploring some of those things that are causing you to respond in that area. But a lot of times mm-hmm. your anger is justified. You know, somebody's done something that's legitimately not nice, and then you have to decide, okay, what would be an appropriate thing to do? Do I just let her go? Do I confront the person? You know, or is there some other action I need to take? Mm-hmm. So just kind of separate yourself from the emotion and give a, give a little distance so that you can actually work through it. Well, I, I think that more is listening to the message because emotions are messengers. Mm-hmm. They're, 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 t- mm-hmm. they're telling you things about yourself and about reality in response to your needs. You know, 
And so if uh, I'm angry because, you know, my 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 spouse is, in my case, let's say, is, you know, uh, not doing something that I want him to do or is, you know, saying something that's hurtful, then that I need to take some action. And, of course, the big question mm-hmm. then is what's appropriate action to take? What would be something, because my, my definition of an appropriate action for anger is it's minimizing or reducing the threat with the least amount of harm to yourself and others. So if you're mm-hmm. doing that, your your behavior is probably going to be appropriate. Um, if you're having a hard time figuring out what that might be on your own, then that, that might be where you need to get some help with somebody. And it doesn't necessarily need to be a therapist. It could be somebody who is mature. It could be a counselor. It could be a pastor. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that you can get advice from that uh, I think are really solid. Uh, and having some people like that in your life uh, are, is really important. It helps you become more mm-hmm. successful at managing stuff like this. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of very reactive people out there. So one of the things that I used to do with my children when I would get very triggered um, and there was a lot of like attack, 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 was to create distance and just say, I need to, I need to go take a time out right now. You know, especially yeah. when they stop I, taking times out, timeouts. Timeouts um, are really to, important. Yeah, um, but also just to say, I'm I'm angry right now, and I don't want to mm-hmm. talk to you right now because I'm afraid I yeah. might say something that I would regret. And That's so right. it's also modeling the behavior that you want your child or somebody else in your life to do with you, right? Exactly, and and if you look at people who manage anger well, that's one of the things that they just instinctively have learned growing up either by modeling or trial and error, however they learned it. They've learned that, you know, you don't act right away. Because when strong emotion hits, you actually lose some of your ability to reason. Uh, some of that mm-hmm. higher reasoning stuff shuts down, and everything becomes black and white. And mm-hmm. uh, so that's when you do the outrageous things. You know, you set with kids, you set crazy limits. You know, you're not going to ride that bicycle till you're 18. You know, you're not going to whatever. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing mm-hmm. with kids that I found to be very useful when you're parenting is to uh, move your action point forward. Uh, and what I mean by that is a lot of times people, um, you know, they'll natter at their kids. You know, please stop doing that. You know, I told you not to do that. How many times do I have to tell you, you know, and they'll go on and on, and at some point their anger, you know, the, the emotion gets strong enough to where they take action. And so lowering your action point really makes a difference. So when they first start doing something that you don't want them to do, if it's a, if it's a limit that you really want to enforce, you need to do it right then because that's when you're you're calm and you've got more reasonability and you can take reasonable actions. But somehow, mm. a lot of times, and, and women actually do this a little bit more than men. Men tend to act a little bit sooner. Uh, and I think that's partly a cultural thing. Uh, it's it just, you mm. know, Dreikers used to say, you know, we, we teach our kids to be parent deaf. I, I had a friend of mine who uh, used to teach uh, <laughs> third grade, and uh, he was telling me about this one kid that his mother would come, and she would call him, and he would ignore her, and she'd call him and call him, and he would ignore her. And finally, she'd stomp her foot and say, get over here right now. And then he'd, he'd stop what he was doing and go home. And one day he mm-hmm. asked the kid, he said, uh, uh, I, I notice you really don't pay a lot of attention to your mom. He's just looking at her and said, you know, she doesn't mean it until she stamps her foot. <laughs> well, I kids think we all do that to some degree. Well, we, it's, it's, 
Well, exactly. It's not just child, about kids. When you were a child, you knew when you had to move, when you're at, with your, what level your your parents' voice had to be. You know what had to happen when you had to take action. <clears throat> and so yeah, I mean, I think even point, mm-hmm. yeah. Go ahead. No, I mean, just in terms of like marriages that are not doing well. Um, in mm-hmm. my in my case, I brought up the issue so many times, and my husband didn't hear a word I said. And yeah. when I was finally not angry. And I really just calmly said, I can't do this anymore. That's when he started to take action. Um, So it was like I had lost the emotion. I had the the anger was too strong of an emotion, which was not that far from love. Um, And sometimes it's just when you've just exhausted um, that people also will listen to you. So exactly. Well, you were also dealing. It sounds like with a non-negotiator. Yes. And non-negotiators <laughs> only respond when you have a consequence, which mm-hmm. is unfortunate. Because what you ideally yeah. want in a, in, a, in a partner is somebody who's who's willing to negotiate. In fact, that's the biggest predictor predictor that a relationship will fail is if uh, one of the persons will not negotiate, and when when conflict comes up, they just walk away. Uh, mm-hmm. That more than anything else will predict that this will not be a successful relationship. Yeah, In fact, it's that's interesting. something to watch on those early dates, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I actually pick up on stuff like that really fast because this is my business. Yeah. But having been with a non-negotiator and a person who mm-hmm. ran away from any kind of confrontation, as peaceful right. as I tried to make it, um, I know that that's super important to me this time around. And um, somebody was just telling me that she's dating somebody who wants everything on his terms and yeah. she's tired of it. And I said, well, have you made it really clear that this is important to you? Because I'll give you an example, and this is something which I think a lot of people will sort of speaks to, to some of the stuff that you just brought up. Um, he yeah. likes her to call. He likes to call her at midnight, midnight, like really late at yeah. night when it's she wants to go to sleep. So she's picking up the phone, you know, breaking rule number one, if you don't want to talk to him, don't talk to him. Um, and, um, and, he sa- and so she said when I brought it up, he said, well, you know, we're both busy, so this, this works. So totally negating what she said, but she's also not following through. So, yeah, well, you know, mm-hmm. what bothered me more than anything was his totally dismissing her needs and making it all about his well, he wants to control the relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one uh, red flag for an abuser, who's in control. And mm-hmm. if, if one person is in control of the relationship, you want to run. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what I would tell her. This is probably not going to work in the long run unless he decides to change his behavior. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. a lot of times people like that, they're not interested in changing because they don't see the problem because they're in control. Yep. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. just like uh, they said in the movie, it's good to be king. Yeah. Yeah, and and here's the other thing that I just wanted to also bring up, that a lot of people who have anger issues, and I've had a lot of people like that in my life, are people who still really believe that people listen to them when they, quote, give them a piece of their mind kind of thing. Like when they when they rage, because the person kind of backs off, they think that they've accomplished their goal. Um, so... You know, it's sort of they don't get the message that people don't really want to deal with them and they may back off, but they really don't respect them and they don't really want to be in a relationship with them. So is there any hope well, for people like this? 
Well, and, and let me go to the more extreme case of domestic violence. Um, there, there's mm. two things that will keep the um, uh, the perpetrator. And understand that women, uh, in fact, I just read an article that was interesting from the U.K. about uh, how pervasive uh, women abusing men is uh, over there. Mm. I'm guessing it probably wow. is over in the U.S. too. It's just it gets underreported because men don't tend to go in and report it because, number one, half the time they, they're not believed. Um, But anyway, uh, in in a domestic violence situation, uh, the two things that that you have to break through is, number one is the person says, you know, I can't help it. Somehow this is just the way I am. And so the truth is, is you can control your behavior. And again, except for the very small percentage that's usually, you know, in jail already. Um, And if you look at people who have short fuses, um, or anger problems, they exhibit a lot of control. They tend to not blow when it's you know when they're in court or when they're in front of their boss you know or something of that nature is going on. They're out in a very public situation. They tend to only rage and do those things when they're in private or where they're in situations mm. where there's you know no immediate consequence. So getting them to buy into the fact that you can control your behavior. You're an adult. That's one of the functions of an adult. You know. Uh, two-year-olds can't control their behavior. They act out their emotions a lot of times. That's why we say adults mm-hmm. that are acting that way, they're acting like a two-year-old. Uh, the second <laughs> thing is they tend to minimize uh, the consequences. Well, you know, so I raged, so I slacked her a couple times. You know, what's the big deal? It's just the mm-hmm. way things are. You know, and, and so usually until law enforcement or something else comes in, like in your case, until you decided, you know, I can't take this anymore, uh, they're not going to listen until there's there's definitely a consequence, and they recognize that. Now, for the less extreme cases, the same things have to be true. The person has to buy into the idea that you know, I really can't control myself. Uh, you know, I'm not, not. This is something I learned when I was a kid. Again, either by modeling or because it served me in some way. Because uh, let's face it, if you grow up in a really rough situation and you learn that you know if I can get angry, people back off. That's survival. There's a lot of places mm-hmm. in the world where you can't survive unless you're that way. Um, and unfortunately, there's there's places here in our little corner of the world where that's true as well. So they have to buy in yeah. that you know I can control my behavior and there are consequences for it. And that's the hard one unless you know there's some major thing going on like law enforcement or, so, or divorce or something of that nature. And even then, a lot of times uh, the person will not. Uh, will not acknowledge that, uh, that there's consequences for the behavior. Well, it's not that big a deal. Yeah, so they leave, you know, there'll be somebody else out there. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, when you're dating and early on in a relationship, you need to have that those red flags really clearly in mind. Uh, yep. Because unfortunately, when, when people date, they don't think about these things, you know. And it's important to think about these things. You know, who's in control? Is How's the person dealing with disappointment? Uh, listening to their background, you know, uh, if they can't remember anything about their childhood, I mean, that's a major red flag, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if most of the things they remember are negative, that's a major red flag, uh, especially for people who come from a dysfunctional background. Uh, I, I read a research survey a long time ago that really impressed me. They followed people from dysfunctional backgrounds, you know, for up into adulthood and uh, mm-hmm. our kids and, until they became adults. And they found that about a third of them were in prison or different types of institutions, you know, uh, not doing well at all. About a third of them were functioning marginally, and about a third of them were doing pretty good. 
And mm-hmm. the third of them that were doing well had two commonalities. One was they had a success experience, either sports, school, job. Somewhere they got the idea, I can be successful in some area of my life. The second one is they had a relationship with somebody from a reasonably healthy background. And so they could learn as an adult a lot of those skills that they missed as a child. Because that's where you learn about power, about relationships, about sharing. It's that, that family of origin. Uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you know, most people don't think about that. And if you get a person from a dysfunctional background, you put them in, well, let's say a girl, a light lady, and you put her in with uh, you know, 50 guys, um, you know, within 15 minutes she'll be talking to the losers. And mm-hmm. at that moment, everybody's presenting well. And what's yep. going on is she gets, you know, so you don't know who on the surface who it is, but so much of how we interact is on an unconscious level. And so she gets around mm-hmm. the losers, I mean the, the healthy people, and they have appropriate boundaries and all that type of stuff, and they feel funny. She yep. gets around the ones that feel like home, and okay, I know how to deal with this. And again, this is all going on at an unconscious level. She doesn't want to lose her. You know, this idea that, that women have a string of bad relationships because they, they like it, that's stupid. Nobody wants that. It's just that their way that they're selecting is unconscious, and so they tend to select those things that are familiar uh, without realizing it. Mm-hmm. And that's it's why you've got to get really conscious about, yeah. And that's why you got to get really conscious about what healthy looks like. And then when you start to see these red flags, you know, things like control, mm-hmm. like we talked about earlier, you know, how do they deal with disappointment, right? Uh, how do they, yeah. you know, when, when you, ha- you know, I, I want to go to this restaurant. Oh, I'd like to go to this restaurant. How do they negotiate that? Uh, mm-hmm. if, uh, uh, you know, there's just just a whole host of things like that. You have to kind of be aware of. And then as you do that then you start to weed out. The other thing I used to do with people from dysfunctional backgrounds is I'd say you need to find a healthy person and hang around them. Mm-hmm. Because part of the healing comes from, it, it's there's kind of a natural ability inside of us. We start to recognizing what healthy is when we start to hang around healthy. Now, interesting, the biggest complaint I always would get, because I'd say you need to hang around for at least six months, and the first couple months, they would complain because these people are so freaking boring. There's <laughs> absolutely no drama in their life. <laughs> I mean, everything's just calm and the same from day to day. Uh, but but the amazing thing is after a few months, this begins to feel really good. Plus, mm-hmm. you know, they start to realize that, you know, uh, they'll say something and it'll be no big d- deal to them, and the and the healthy person will say, "Wow, that's terrible," and they begin to realize, "Well, maybe that wasn't a good thing that happened," uh, and so th- they start to get rewired from the inside out. That there's something in, in just our genetic makeup that responds to that, and we start to to learn from that in a very organic way. Mm. You, you can't just do it by, uh, you know, theoretically understanding something. You got to go out and experience it. And the best way I is to find so healthy agree. groups of people that you can hang around with. Mm-hmm. And they're all people over the like places, you, you who know. are married 42 years. <laughs> you know, people like that who, you know, well, you know yeah. people who know how to make relationships work. Um, yeah, that's and they're super all important. Yep, yeah, and you hang around them, and uh, at first they'll be boring, but pretty soon you'll begin to really appreciate that peace and that calmness, and that begins to be what you want to, that you long for. It doesn't mean that you don't do things. Mm-hmm. You do things. It's just that you don't have all that drama that's happening all the time. Yeah, and that, so that's all, it that's doesn't all feel good knows, to live you know? in that. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. It's so true. And when you rewire your brain and you create new neural pathways um, because of change of behavior and changing habits, it mm-hmm. starts to feel like healthy and real, mm-hmm. and that's what feels good. Um, I once had a guest on who's a therapist who told me that every person, every man she'd ever been attracted to was a narcissist because that's what she grew up with. And, um, you know, being a therapist doesn't prevent you from making the same mistakes all the time. So um, she had been married twice, and finally she did the work and realized what she needed to do to recognize a healthy man and a healthy relationship. And her third marriage has been her most successful and... Um, but she sits still. When she goes into a room, she makes a beeline for every narcissist in the room. She just she's drawn to them, but she just doesn't she doesn't marry them <laughs> anyway. She doesn't you know they're interesting well, they, people they, they, usually. They, they feel like home. Yes, yeah, and know, they, so we uh, like we home, tend to yeah. right. We gravitate and, to to what's comfortable. Well, what's familiar? I will say. I, I think familiar okay. is more important because the unfamiliar. You know, I don't know how to deal with that. Mm-hmm. I get somebody who who is, is you know, it's like walking into a foreign country, right? You know, I don't know the customs, I don't know the language. You know, it makes me uneasy. Oh, I get around this person, I know how to deal with this in this situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting because a, a person who grows up in a really healthy, loving environment, you know, they walk in and they immediately pick up what's going on. Um, my wife works at a bank, and she was a teller for a lot of years, um, and she was really good at finding counterfeit, you know, uh, money when it came in. And the way they train, uh, you know, tellers how to identify counterfeit is they get them just super familiar with what the real thing feels like and looks like. Hmm. And once you really know what the real thing looks like, you know, something counterfeit comes through, and, and you just immediately pick up. Well, you know, the paper's funny, or you know, the the printing's funny, or there's something weird here or there. Uh, and it's the same thing with a person from a healthy background. They get into that room of 50 guys. And, you know, they just feel there's something funny going on here. Again, the person from the dysfunctional background, they kind of walk in with blinders on. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, why you have to be conscious during those early stages. One, one other thing, I, yeah. I, I just, and I know this is going to be terribly unpopular. Um, okay. But it's really, <laughs> really, really important early on in a relationship not to get sexual. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things that turns off the reasoning process of the brain, and more so in women than men, is becoming sexually involved. And you can see that with MRI scans and stuff. is just It's just like the reasoning process of the brain shut down and the emotional centers all light up. So it gets really hard to do that evaluation, which is why, you know, you got that initial infatuation, and then, you know, two, three, six months down the road, you look at the situation and say, how did I get here? You know, this mm-hmm. is not what I thought it was when I started. Uh, and, again, it's it's unpopular, but you need to have that reasoning ability early on and do some evaluation before you start to move to that next level. Because there's a definite oh, yeah. printing process that takes place when you become sexual with somebody. Mm-hmm. I couldn't I agree with you more, and topic. it's what I preach. I, it's... Uh, I actually, one of the uh, working titles for my book was um, Eyes Wide Open, Legs Firmly Shut. And it's, yeah. <laughs> I think that's, that's really how you have to go in because once you, once you start getting sexually involved, you just you lose the ability to reason. And um, I see so yeah. many women in my Facebook group who are emotionally attached to men they haven't even met yet 
Um, you know, yeah. and and it can go on for months. They have a, a pseudo relationship with somebody, and it's just so important to balance your heart and head. Um, boy, yeah. I could talk to you forever. This, there's so much more to ask and talk about, but um, unfortunately, we have to come to an end. And um, thank you so much for all this fabulous information, Reno Purifoy. Tell everybody how people can find you, reach you, get your books. Well. <laughs> the, the easiest way is just to go to whyemotions.com. Um, the book's available at a- Amazon and print and Kindle and, and through Smashwords for all of the uh, uh, other ebook formats. Uh, and you can link to it. Just go to, you know, my name's hard to remember, so whyemotions.com mm-hmm. is the easiest way to, to find the link okay. to all the other places. All right, awesome. Um, well, thank you so and, and, much for and, coming and on and the I, show. And let me put a plug in for the videos. There's a whole bunch of free videos on things like emotional triggers and anger and anxiety and stuff up on, on the YouTube, too. Okay, great. Maybe I'll post a few in my on my Facebook page, too, for people to see. Um, thank you so much. And uh, I hope everybody listening today checks out Renault Perifoy's work. Um, it's really, really important work. And being able to manage anger is just so critical in having healthy relationships. So thank you all for listening today, and I hope you go on your last first date very soon. Have a great day.